Recorded live from a place where, when it's sunny, it actually gets warm, this is Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. As of this week, there are 18 separate bills in red states all over this country, all designed to further marginalize, restrict, and eliminate transgender rights and freedoms. Some would make it illegal for doctors and parents to assist their trans children in their quest to become their authentic selves. Our guest today is actively engaged in fighting those horrible and prejudiced laws. Catherine Oakley is the state legislative director and senior counsel of the Human Rights Campaign, and she'll speak with us about what these laws are, where they came from, and what we can do to fight them. Our conversation with Kate begins after our traditional music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loonie, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes and change isn't good or bad, it just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one, the coins, money, about how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I am Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. How can it be that in the midst of the many obstacles families like mine are facing, our state legislators have decided to step in, telling us they know my family better than I do, and dare to impose state mandates legislating the existence of my daughter, her right to a loving family and the medical care she needs. How is it that instead of working to ensure a safe life for my trans Latina daughter, our legislators are attempting to persecute her and our family year after year for nothing more than their own political gain? Strong words from Frank Gonzalez, the father of a transgender daughter. He was speaking out against proposed legislation in his home state of Texas that would have banned gender-confirming treatment for minors in the state. The House version of that bill missed a procedural deadline for consideration, but a similar bill in the Texas Senate is still alive. That bill would not only ban gender-affirming treatment, but also mandate the revocation of a physician's medical license if someone performs or prescribes such treatment. And Texas is only one of the states where anti-transgender legislation is being considered or already passed. We're going to be talking with one of the people who's fighting these bills. Catherine Oakley is the state legislative director and senior counsel at the Human Rights Campaign, where she normally works with legislators in enacting laws that further LGBTQ equality, but now has to spend time and energy to keep us from going in reverse. Kate, welcome to Transformation Thursday. Thank you so much for having me here. We are really glad that you're here. So uh, this has been a really, really scary year. And also we've discovered that from the time when I wrote the introduction to now, when I said that there were 18 uh, laws that are being, uh, and it's actually now 19 um, separate bills in, in red states all the country. Uh, can you give us an overview of what's going on in these states? Yeah, so we are having one of the, the worst um, 
legislative sessions for LGBTQ people ever and, and the worst in sort of modern history. So what I mean when I say modern history is that in 2015, as the marriage equality, the Obergefell decision was in front of the Supreme Court, and I think most folks felt that that decision was going to result in marriage equality coming to the entire country. Um, and that year, even though public opinion was very much in favor of marriage equality, state legislatures, if you had polled just state legislators, they would have had a much different result. And so in a lot of states that year, we saw uh, them filing anti-LGBTQ legislation in a way that they really had never done it before. Not to say that they never filed any, but there was an, a, a huge surge in 2015. And not just that there were more bills filed, which there were, but that they were taken more seriously. They were given hearings, they, they made more progress. And that year, if you can remember all the way back, was the Indiana RIFRA, right? So that was a religious refusal law that passed in Indiana. The then Governor Mike Pence signed that bill. And after a flurry of pressure, that bill ended up being amended. And it was a huge moment, truly, for the LGBTQ community to be able to say, look, you know, we understand that marriage is, is making people nervous uh, about what's coming next in terms of LGBTQ equality, but we're not going to stand for discrimination in the states. And that was such an impactful experience in Indiana. And then we repeated it, or even, even bigger, in 2016 in North Carolina. And with HB2, there was so much pushback around HB2 that it really changed the way we were able to have some of these conversations in the state legislatures. All of that said, since 2015, we've seen this huge surge in anti-LGBTQ legislation in the states. And this year is a historically bad year since 2015, meaning we've had more anti-LGBTQ bills filed total. We've had more anti-transgender bills filed, more than double our previous record, which was last year. And yeah, <clears throat> well, we can come back to last year. There's a lot to say about that too. Um, and we have also, as you said, we now have 19 anti-LGBTQ bills that have passed into law. Um, the 19th was signed by the Tennessee governor late on Friday afternoon, and it is a bathroom bill. It is a bill that would prevent students from being able to use the restroom consistent with their gender identity at school. Well, it also gives parents of cisgender children the opportunity <clears throat> to sue the school district if they're not given access to single sex facilities away from trans kids, correct? Yeah, so there's there. <laughs> it's a really weird law. It is a really weird law. And look, I like period the end. It's flagrantly like illegal. It is it, it contravenes Title Nine. It contravenes the United States Constitution. It is absolutely just a shot across the bow saying that Tennessee doesn't care about federal law and you know that the, they think the federal government should cover them because there's really no other way to read what is there other than we don't care about the law, we do what we want. Um, and if I mentioned HB2, if you remember back to HB2, uh, the, the Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against the state of North Carolina alleging violation of Title IX. And you know the, the provisions of this in terms of restricting trans students from being able to use the restroom consistent with their gender identity at school, that, that element is the same. Um, and then you're absolutely right. I mean, it then goes on to talk about uh, what happens to cisgender students who end up being in a situation where there might have been a transgender student who is there, right? And that there are, there they then have a cause of action if it turns out that they feel that they've shared a sex segregated space with a trans student. It is an absolutely absurd law. I mean, absolutely absurd. There are actually two more laws that are sitting on the governor's desk in Tennessee. Um, and he's already signed two others. So this is the third anti-LGBTQ law in Tennessee this year with two more still possibly to come. Yeah, before you jumped out, we were actually talking about this and I think Title IX is where this battle is gonna be fought out. And so, I mean, how do you see that playing out with this current round of legislation coming through? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I'm a cisgender woman and I know that lots of cisgender women feel really strongly that Title IX is an incredible 
civil rights advancement, that it is something that belongs to women and that it is so important and that people are very rightfully protective of Title IX. The place where things start to go sideways is when we start dividing women, right? <laughs> and what Title IX does is it prohibits discrimination in education on the basis of sex. And as we know, on the basis of sex includes sexual orientation and gender identity. We knew that already, but even if you looked past all of the federal case law that had led people to that conclusion during the Obama administration, we now also have the Bostock decision, which was decided last year. And uh, that decision makes it clear that in Title VII, which prohibits discrimination in employment on many bases, including on sex, that that decision um, means that uh, discrimination on the basis of sex in Title VII must include sexual orientation and gender identity. Title VII and Title IX share a body of case law. So even though that decision is absolutely about employment, uh, the rationale is also absolutely going to be imported into Title IX. Well, and, and the Biden administration rolling back the Trump era transgender HHS rulings this week cited Bostick specifically. So, I mean, if they share that case law, then this is gonna be, I think, this is where you're going to make hay on those issues and you're going to get everything else tossed out then. Is that is that the hope from what you're seeing at HRC? Yeah, and let me also just say for, for full transparency um, that the Bostock decision actually does explicitly say that they're not talking about sex, or I'm sorry, that they're not talking about sports. Um, and it, it says that very clearly. And the reason it says that is because if you're making this decision in a Title VII context, everyone who's following this body of case law knows that's then going to be uh, imported into the Title IX case law. And that connection is so strong and so uh, so significant that that was something the court felt the need to say, was that they weren't deciding about sports in that moment. Now, it's also factually true. They were not deciding about sports in that moment. They also talk about other things that they weren't deciding, including religious refusals and other things, right, which were not in front of the court. And the court is not going to be making decisions about issues that are not before them. And so, Gorsuch went out of his way to carve out the free exercise stuff. Yeah, to, to mention, like, that's not something that we're talking about. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, yes, I think that um, it has been, it, it, is, it is not controversial that trans students are included in Title IX. That is, that's not controversial among people who are following the case law. The only people for whom that's controversial are people who either are not aware of the case law or are actively working to undermine the interests of LGBTQ people like Alliance Defending Freedom Heritage Foundation, right? The folks for whom undermining LGBTQ equality is their full-time job. Um, and then, you know, I think caught in the middle, unfortunately, are cisgender women in particular who don't really understand about what it means to be trans and what trans participation in sports are like, it, it entails, and that they're hearing all of this misinformation and all of these lies that are being put out there by the same people who told us that marriage equality was going to truly cause the end of the world from the same people who told us that we had to have bathroom bills like HB2 or else, you know, civilization was going to fall. And, you know, right, like it's the same people with the same, it's just a parade. So this is the newest thing in the parade of anti-LGBTQ things they're putting out. And, you know, if I could speak to all of those cisgender women, one of the things that I would say to them would be, these people have never cared about you before. They've never cared about women's sports before. There are lots of real issues confronting women's sports and this one is fake. It is manufactured in order to try to hurt trans people. And so all of these arguments that you're hearing, they're just not based in fact. And I can I can tell you all about the facts, um, but the, the arguments that these people are putting forward, they're just, they're hogwash. Do you think that this is actually going for uh, more than just uh, further marginalization of, of LGBTQ people and actually they want to do some fundamental changes to things like Title IX? Is that a possibility? Because this concerted effort, they're throwing so much uh, and so many of these rules that it, it looks to me like they are trying to do some sort of, I mean, they spent the entire Trump administration stacking the courts. Mm -hmm. So this feels to me, and and 
they they pivoted as soon as Biden was elected. They pivoted from stacking the courts to changing election laws because I'm guessing that they're looking for that for election laws too. What do you think the um, illiberal rights? What do you think the illiberal rights? Do they have an, an overarching big play here that they're looking for? Well, that's a great question. And here's my two cents on it. I told you that we would we would mention last year. And last year we had 66 anti-transgender bills filed, which was more than we had ever had before at that point. And this year we've now more than doubled it. That's more than we had in 2016, the year of HB2 and bathroom bills, right? So they had this in their sights. And is that... that also to say, a lot of these legislators and states have said, well, look, we have to protect Title IX from the Biden administration. The Biden administration is gonna do X, Y, and Z. We have to protect Title IX from the Biden administration. And again, hogwash, because these bills were filed. We had 30 some of these bills that were filed last year before he had the Democratic nomination. So this is not about Biden. It's not about Title IX. I think that you're absolutely right about the courts. You're absolutely right about the redistricting. I would say that what we're seeing is desperation from a, a an apparatus of anti-LGBTQ animus that is trying to find the thing that will help them turn back the clock on everything that's been happening in terms of the movement forward for equality. We have now seven of these anti-trans sports bans, which have been signed into law. Um, we have four bills, which are religious refusal bills that have passed into law. We have three bills that are anti-LGBTQ education bills, which for example, I was mentioning Tennessee before, the Tennessee version of this bill would say that you can't mention sexual orientation or gender of anybody in curriculum in, in any kind of curriculum without notifying parents in advance. And they don't limit that to any particular kind of class. So that could be sex ed, it could be literature, it could be history. So like they're trying to it in that bill, like truly eliminate LGBTQ people from discussion in the classroom, right? We also have and uh, this anti-trans medical care ban in Arkansas, which will prohibit um, trans youth from being able to access gender affirming care in Arkansas, prohibit transgender youth from being able to access gender affirming care. I feel like I have to say that a second time because it is so unbelievable. I want people to understand how bad it is. We also have um, anti all commerce bills, which are about student groups and birth certificate bills. So it is overall like these 19 bills coming together are I think trying to poke in as many different places as possible. Where can we find the place that people are squeamish? Where can we find the place that even these people who say they believe in equality, who you know are, are saying and doing all the right things, you know, where are the places that they're squeamish that we can get them? And they decided that it was sports and that it was these medical care bans. And you know, they don't care about lying. They're happy to lie to make people afraid. Um, and so I think that's that's my sense of it is that these groups, they know they're losing. They know they've lost overall. And so they're trying to just find the places where people are squeamish enough that they could just slow things down a little bit. And they're and they seem to not have any reticence in in hurting kids. Yeah. Uh, you you talked, I mean, Texas is now having a very similar law to the one you're talking about. Uh, and there was a, a press conference. You were involved with it. And uh, Libby Gonzalez, we heard Frank Gonzalez. This is, uh, I'm going to uh, play a little bit of Libby Gonzalez's uh, uh, press conference uh, that you were at as well. And I when people hear the desperation in her voice and the way she started this, when she started speaking, this just broke my heart. I told my mom and dad that if this law passes, I want to disappear. I don't know how I'm going to go to school and pretend that everything's okay. I know they don't understand, but it's okay. They don't have to understand what it's like to be transgender, but they are the most powerful people in our state. We are counting on them. If they don't want to understand us, they should at least not keep our families from supporting us and our doctors from helping us. If they don't want to understand, at least they should keep, like, they don't want to say, at least stop hurting us. 
to hear a little kid say that uh, was was heartbreaking to me. Um, and and uh, you and Libby were on the in the same diocese. I mean, what was your reaction when you heard that? Oh, absolutely the same. I, I mean, Libby has been fighting for her rights in front of the Texas legislature for half of her life. And she's been at the Capitol um, fighting against bathroom bills in Texas. And, you know, she's back this year fighting for health care. And, you know, I, I think to your point, Penny, about they don't, they, they have no compunction about hurting kids. You know, they, the, the kind of care that they want people to believe is being provided to trans youth is not being provided to trans youth. I mean, they just are, every single one of these bills starts out with a list of very, you know, if you don't understand what they're talking about, very scary sounding surgeries, a lot of big medical words, making it sound like, you know, doctors are, are you know, pushing this on kids. Um, and that in some cases, you know, saying that parents are pushing this on kids. And and the bill that um, is was been getting so much attention in Texas, you know, that bill would actually make it a felony or could make it a felony. It would make it child abuse, which can be punishable up to a felony, depending on what it is. It would make it child abuse to either provide transition related care if you're a doctor or to allow your child to receive gender affirming care. That would be child abuse. And, you know, that's the, when you, when you hear Frank and when you hear Libby talking about these bills, right, this couldn't, be scarier. It couldn't be scarier. And it's, it's, I think it's unconscionable that these elected officials are using their time, their energy, their microphone to be pushing these messages forward. They, many of them know that, that these bills aren't doing what they say they are. And for the people who don't know, that's because they're allowing Alliance Defending Freedom or Heritage Foundation to be doing their bill drafting and, um, and, and educating them without any skepticism, without any question about whether or not, you know, these things are necessary or needed or harmful. And they have no compunction hurting kids. And I don't think that there is appropriate understanding or perhaps just not appropriate um, <laughs> emotional investment in the idea that these trans kids are are really struggling and hurting because of the legislation that these folks are putting forward. Yeah, we listened to Libby's, you know, wonderful statement there a little bit ago, and that word disappear just jumps out at me. You know, that 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 can be disappear, shrink from society, but that it can also mean for a lot of trans kids disappear from existence. Like we already have these horrific suicide ideation and suicide attempt rates within our community, especially with our youth. So how do you work with legislature, legislatures across the country to talk about these and say, no, trans affirming healthcare saves lives. What you're doing is trying to kill people. First, I try to say that. And sometimes they listen to me, lots of times they don't because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm from an organization that is an advocacy organization and, you know, they're going to, uh, they're going to take that for whatever they're going to take that depending on it, on uh, how interested they are in our issues. So what we really do try to do are, are elevate voices of people like Frank and like Libby, right? I mean, it's so hard asking Libby to have to go and tell her story again. This is the third legislative session in Texas. They meet every two years. This is the third legislative session in Texas that I know of that Libby has been lobbying for her own identity and her own rights in Texas. And that is excruciatingly painful. Um, and it's so hard to have to ask her to do that. On the other hand, she... It, it tells the story beautifully. Sorry. It's her story and she tells it beautifully. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, Penny. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean to interrupt, but didn't, uh, but I did apparently. Um, wasn't somebody was like not allowed to be to be heard? Wasn't there, a, was that Libby or was it somebody else that they refused to listen to? Libby ended up not being able to give her testimony that day. They, the um, Texas legislature has been engaging in some kind of hocus pocus around uh, some of their hearing rules and been limiting testimony and turning testimony off too soon. And so, yeah, that folks are, are not always allowed to tell their stories. Um, but, oh, so go ahead. 
No, I just it, it just pisses me off. It's like yeah. this is the people that it's a, you're, you're affecting, yeah. but we're not going to let you hear them. Right. Well, and it's not an accident. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it because they don't they don't either they don't care or they don't want to hear the the real truth because they know they're pushing forward with this for political gain and and they're not interested in hearing the real story. So yeah, I mean, look, I think we have to have parents like Frank. I think we have to have kids like Libby, um, where folks are are safe enough to be able to tell their story and confident enough to be able to do that, because obviously that's not the case for everyone. Um, also, you know, we work in a lot of states and Texas is a particularly large one, but, you know, state capitals are not always accessible. People have jobs. Um, they There's also a pandemic on and it's not necessarily safe for people to be um, in enclosed spaces with other people, especially when um, other people aren't necessarily taking COVID that seriously. So, you know, it's really hard. And I think doing the advocacy this year has been really hard because of some additional challenges on top of others. But, you know, I also think we are winning. That's why they're so desperate. That's why they have to, they're, they're in this corner. Um, they're going after kids because that's the only thing that they have left. And as we continue to tell those stories, I really believe that people like Libby are going to make the difference. Um, really humanizing these issues, educating these legislators. Every one of these atrocious years is also an opportunity for us to do education. And that's part of how I try to get through these sessions, right? Which is saying like, I don't like losing 19 times, but those are also 19 opportunities that we have to go out and explain to people how, why they're wrong and help change their minds. And we know we're on the right side of history. We know we're on the right side of the law. We will eventually get these laws all relegated to the dustbin of history where they belong. And in the meantime, it's incumbent upon us to make sure that people understand the true story about kids like Libby. Yeah, that's the thing that gets me is you got you got there. Your your bio about this, you, you, you're the person who's supposed to be crafting LGBTQ uh, supporting laws, but all of a sudden you found yourself thrust into this um, defensive action where you're just trying to keep us from going backwards. That's got to be exhausting for you. I mean, it is. I would also say, like, we actually have done some good stuff. Like, it's not that I haven't had any chance to do that. I was reminded that yesterday was the uh, the anniversary of the Fairness for All Marylanders Act, which added gender identity into the state non-discrimination law. Um, just last year here in Virginia, where I live, uh, Virginia passed the Virginia Values Act, which was the first comprehensive non-discrimination law in the South. It not only added uh, sexual orientation and gender identity to existing law, it actually improved non-discrimination law for all Virginians on all bases, um, adding new protections in against discrimination in employment and in places of public accommodation. So like we do still get to do the good work in the states, um, but I wish that it was more. <laughs> I wish it was more good stuff and less bad stuff, but the good stuff is important and it matters. and. You know, there were lots of good things that happened this year as well. They just get eclipsed by historically bad levels of anti-LGBTQ legislation passing into law. And there are good things. I mean, let's talk about Utah. I mean, as bad as things could be in Texas, they could be that much worse in Utah. And I have a lot of Utah connections. So it seems like, you know, Governor Cox there is very in touch with the LGBTQ community and especially trans kids. And he came out and said this year, when you sit down and you talk to these families, you talk to these kids, that changes people's minds, that changes people's opinions a lot more than, you know, some of these idiots on social media that may rhyme with Rogan, um, you know, and so, so you, the, but that's what we're fighting. Yeah. You know, and that's, and it would, so there are success stories out there. And I think Utah is one of them. And can you, I mean, so I'm, are you involved with that at all? Yeah. Well, and, and 
all to your point, this isn't about Utah specifically, but to your point, we got four vetoes this year as well, right? And so we got vetoes on anti-LGBTQ legislation in Arizona on a, on a discriminatory curriculum bill. We had a veto in Kansas on the anti-transports bill. We had a veto in North Dakota on the anti-transports bill. And then even in South Dakota, which was a very strange situation that happened there, right? But the governor actually vetoed the sports bill as it came to her, um, her veto was not overridden and then she ended up issuing two executive orders after that. So it was a that had basically the same effect. Um, it was reasoning that I'm sure meant something to her but was very strange I think from an outside perspective. But we did get four vetoes, right? And we have at least nine bills that have passed into law this year that are good bills, including uh, Danica Rome's uh, uh, panic defense bill in Virginia, um, right? So this is prohibiting use of an anti-LGBTQ panic defense. Um, also um, making sure that, uh, and Vermont also had a panic defense that passed there um, as well. So, right, like these are, there are good things that are still happening. Um, and you're absolutely right that we also need to be having a conversation with um, with folks who, who don't necessarily seem like they'd be with us on topics um, to make sure that we're having a back and forth. And like I was saying earlier, right, like take it as an opportunity to educate. In Arkansas, that medical care ban that is now a law, the governor vetoed it and it was overridden. Now, he is no friend to the LGBTQ community. He signed four other anti-LGBTQ anti-LGBTQ bills into law just this year. But that particular bill, he said, was too extreme and he could not support it. He vetoed it. That veto was overridden, but when they said to him, why, what, what, what were the, your reasons for vetoing this one? He said, well, I talked to some trans kids about it and it sounds like it would really have a horrible impact on their life. Like, yeah, you think, but I mean, you know, thanks for, but right, like, but we had to have the conversation, right? And there was, there were, there were people who put themselves and their stories out there in the same way that Libby has done that, right? To say, look, I'm going to make myself really vulnerable. I'm going to tell you my story. And I hope that that really changes your perspective on this. And he listened, even in Arkansas. That brings up the question that I, that I wanted to ask, which is what, what can we do? Uh, especially those of us who are not living in uh, places, thank God, that are having these anti-trans laws. Also, I just want to point out that Amy knows people everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to hear about us talk about any place. England, oh, I've got friends there. You know, Virginia, I got friends there. You know, Utah, I have friends there. Amy knows people all over the place. So Amy can talk to people all over the place about this stuff as well, and she does that. What do we do uh, for those of us who are who who are want to fight these but find ourselves you know for better or worse to be in places where there's nothing on, there's no boots on the ground action for us to do what what do you recommend well i mean that's actually exactly what i recommend which is you know you have your own personal networks you have your friends you have your family you have whoever it is who's important to you who live in other places first of all just check on people and make sure they're doing okay right because this is really hard and you know, even just having these bills introduced, even the ones that don't pass. And, you know, Amy, I was making this point before, right? Like just having these things out in the ether makes people feel horrible. It makes people feel horrible. And so check on each other and make sure that if folks need virtual hugs that you can give virtual hugs and that we're all taking care of each other because this is really hard. So that's my first thing. My second thing is also use those networks, maybe of people who are outside the community to say, you need to understand about this issue. I, and you know, I alluded to this earlier, but like I've personally have found on the sports question that cisgender women that I have talked to about this, it is not difficult to get people from a place of, I mean, I really am in favor of trans equality. I do have some questions about this sports thing could you explain? It's not hard to get them from that to, oh, oh, right. No, of course, you're right. And wow, that's a lot of lies that I heard. It doesn't take long to go through and explain why the things that people are saying are wrong. And so if you have the ability to help people change their mind on, 
on on what's happening and give them the real information. And you know, for example, on these um, the medical care bans, right? Like these are opposed by the American Medical Association. They're opposed by the endocrinologists. They're opposed by the pediatricians. You know, these are not like far left crazy groups, right? Like this is the American medical establishment and they're unified. They all agree. There is one hate group that has the name pediatricians in their name that is on the other side of this. So if you can help people understand that they are not speaking for the American medical establishment, the entire American medical establishment is actually over here, understanding that the treatments that are provided to trans youth are absolutely best practice or absolutely age appropriate or absolutely medically necessary, right? All of these arguments, they don't take long to diffuse because they're all based on lies. But if we leave them unchallenged, then they go unchallenged and then our opponents are able to tell lies and win. So I would say that I would also say, of course, I mean, I'll plug HRC and we are doing state ledge work in all 50 states. Um, we work really hard and the territories and we work really hard to try to prevent these bills from moving. So you should absolutely, you know, please see us as a resource. Um, on everything that's happening. But we also work in partnership with lots of other organizations that are also doing this work. Some of them are national, lots of them are in-state. Um, so wherever you are in most states, there will be an in-state partner with whom we do a lot of work and um, they are they are boots on the ground, right? And and as are we in a, in a less, less so than usual this year because of COVID, but it is very much our, our approach. Um, and so, you know, there are lots of us who are out there doing this work and lots of ways to plug in and find out what's going on. It is hard if you can't send an email to your own legislator because you live in a good state, but that doesn't mean that you can't still be supportive in lots of other ways. Yeah, and I, th I think right now too, I think one of the things HRC did a few years ago was that won't, hashtag won't be erased. I mean, how about like hashtag trans health matters or something, you know? I we have uh, hashtag let kids play and hashtag protect trans youth. All right. Yeah. That, that sounds really, really great. And this has been, um, I just want, before we go, I was looking at, uh, you were talking about this earlier and I don't, I don't really want to spend too much time before I go on this, but the, uh, the, the House bill, the state bill in Texas, number 1311, uh, right off the very top, they just do a list, you know, castration, vasectomy, hysterectomy, orphectomy, metoidplastomy, orchiectomy, panectomy, phalloplastic, and banagioplasty. It's like they just want to do this. I just throwing words out that sound scary. They're all my favorite things. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, right? You know, like they're not inherently bad, but they're they are in fact right there in some ways inherently great. But they're not happening to kids. They're not being provided to kids. They're not, and you know, I think. For me, one of the, the times that I just sometimes see people's like, you know, the light bulb go off is like, well, you know, before puberty, transition is not medical, it's social. And nothing medical even starts to happen until it's time, right, like right around time for puberty. And you just hear people be like, <laughs> are you sure like yeah no i'm like super sure you know because that's so not like our opponents are making it sound like there are kids who are being dragged by their parents dragged by their doctors into operating rooms having irreversible medical procedures practiced upon them when they're six you know and then at the same time all these bills by the way almost every single one of them has an exception for intersex youth so it's terrible to provide gender affirming care to trans youth who are able to articulate that they want it, but it's fine to prevent to, it's fine to provide the same kind of care to an infant hmm. if that's what their parents want to do, right? So it's- Oh, I got some case studies on that. It's a very interesting, I think, showing of their cards, right? Which is, mm -hmm. no, it's, it's not about consent. It's not about, you know, saying that, you know, parents don't know what's best for their kids. That's neither of those is what is what you're actually worried about, right? Yeah. You know, we did, you know what? Hold on, sorry, you know what you know what gives me hope about us winning? Like I've been reading about the Hecox case recently. Like, if you read that, like like the the 
the lawyers and the folks on the other side are like, he, he, he. And the judge excoriated them for not even respecting Ms. Hecox's basic humanity and gender identity. Yeah. I mean, so we're seeing a change in the judiciary as well, well I think. And look, if you go back to the Bostock case, right? So the Bostock case had had two gay men as sort of, there There were three cases that came together. And Amy yeah. Stevens, no relation. Well, I was going to say, as soon as I saw her name, I was like, Amy Stevens. But she's unfortunately no longer with us. Yes, that's true. Um, but right, like, so she, hers was one of the cases that was there, right? So you had these two gay men, but you also had her. And when Judge Justice Gorsuch talks about her, he uses her name he uses her pronouns, right? And that really shouldn't be a big deal. That should be baseline, like politeness, humanity. But I think we all know that it isn't. And to your point, we know that the opponents of LGBTQ equality are out there fighting for their right to use people's dead names and to fail to use people's correct pronouns. And if, if the Supreme Court can do it, then so can those attorneys in their district court, right? Like there is no excuse. There is no excuse. There is no justification that they can make. The Supreme Court of the United States can use someone's correct name and gender pronouns, then they can use someone's correct name and gender pronouns, like the end. And I do think that that matters. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, what I've heard talked about a lot though too, you know, the best antidote against, you know, these free speech claims, it's just more free speech. Where have we heard that before? RBG. So yeah. Well, and look, we, I mean, we do have to use our speech to be out there and shouting and educating, right? Like I think that for me is this moment. We have to be out there doing the education and, you know, HB2 was, was, painful for many people, right? Many, many, many people. There was so much pain that came associated with that. And the American public has more of an understanding, generally speaking, around trans issues now than they had before that. Was it worth it? Would we go back and do it again if we had the ability to change history? I'm not sure, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it did give us a moment to educate people and to make what it means to be trans, to demystify that for folks who have never had any exposure. And I, that's how I'm trying to see this year as well, which is people don't understand, maybe they understand a little bit about what it means to be a trans adult and they need to understand more about what it means to be a trans kid. So that's what, that's what they're pushing on a pressure point. They think they found this one. So great, they've shown us, we need to make sure that people understand more about what it means to be transgender kid. And People like Frank and Libby are the way to do that, right? And how many times have I heard, it's okay for you and Penny to do it because you're adults, but I don't know about the kids. They, How do they know? You know, and we even have the, the research. Celine Gugos. There you go, Celine Gugos. <laughs> you know, but we yeah. have the research that goes back that shows that kids understand their role with gender and their identities going back to three to five years old. And I think, you know, that other window of exploration happens, you know, as they're coming into puberty. So they're developmentally speaking, kids know where they're at and they know what they're doing. And also, I feel like this stuff is just not as complicated for kids. It I, isn't. I, I mean, no. and, and I think as parents, it's incumbent on us to make sure that we're hearing our kids when they're speaking to us, that we understand what it is that they're trying to say and that we're creating an environment where they can speak to us and that we're being supportive of them. But I mean, just even so much as uh, my, my six-year-old was telling me the other day, we walked away from someone and I, and I said, oh, well, she seemed very nice. And my daughter said, you don't know that person's pronouns. You should not be guessing. Like love it. I love her. Yeah, and, and so that 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 those those that that grouping of syllables I thought, Celine Gulgos, that is Professor Celine Gulgos, who when it's at the University of Washington did a it's an ongoing study of the socialization of transgender children with cisgender children. They they socialize in their true gender exactly the same way. And it's an amazing it's like it's one of those, you know you know, doctors discover water is wet sort of things. But the fact that the, the fact that she had to do this for these people, it, it was a it was amazingly affirming. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with the with the uh, with the work, but I can always send you a link to it if you'd like. Um, it was it's fascinating stuff. And she's one of our early gets on this show. So. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, it but really was. 
Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, sorry, Penny. No, but, but we talk about socialization and everything else, but, you know, nobody's going to yell at the three-year-old boy who comes out and starts yanking on his penis saying, I'm a boy, I'm a boy, look, I got a penis. But if that boy comes out saying, I'm a, I'm a girl, when do I get this thing cut off? That kid's going to get some serious looks. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and I make that joke trying to be funny, but it's the truth and it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the and the thing is that people fail to understand is like like doing the opposite to a cisgender kid it, if if you wouldn't do that to a cisgender kid why do you want to do the op, do this yeah. to a trans kid? Yeah. It's it's just heartbreaking to see this. But one of the things that I'm really that that I'm really grateful for is the level of we got this attitude that I see from people like you, Kate. Uh, you, even even at that press conference, you were like, "No, we got this." There's no, yeah, they're, they're going, they're cruising for a bruising, you know. And you know, I'm I'm the last stop. Uh, it's it, you know, it, it's you know, the, the the fact that that you can like sit there and go legally, you've got no, you've got nothing here, and that attitude, you know, really is an antidote for that. And I hope that uh, people as they listen us come away with that same because it is a scary time to be transgender and it's a very scary time for for all of us and to hear the confidence that you've that you that you portray here i it feels genuine um so i'm assuming it is it is but but it is but it is also really hard right now and so yeah. i do I, I don't want to in in talking about my confidence that these bills are in fact uh, going to be overturned and or repealed, right? And I am confident that those things will happen. Um, and it is really hard right now. And it's okay to have it feel really hard right now. I don't, I don't want to push past that and pretend that that's not real because it's extremely real. Well, what's needed is the Equality Act. And I don't think we're going to end up getting that. I mean, um, senators like Manchin and, you know, the other one out in Arizona. Cinema. Uh, cinema, yeah. It's they're, they're going to hold this stuff up. And, and then you have the filibuster. And I don't think the Democrats have the guts to bust the filibuster over equality, especially when it involves trans people. That's where I, that's where I sit with that. Well, I'll say we are still very optimistic about the fate of the Equality Act. And we are continue to be working really, really hard um, toward, toward pushing that over the finish line. So um, there, of course, are going to be lots of challenges, but we, I agree with you, the Equality Act will be a tremendous, tremendous help. That said, you know, Title IX already says what Title IX says. So we don't need the Equality Act for these sports bills, for example, to be uh, illegal. Um, but, uh, well, and so, figure all of that out too. But the Equality Act would absolutely make a tremendous difference. And we're continuing to push for it and do feel really optimistic about uh, its chances. Yeah, especially since it'll supersede RIFRA. I'm glad to hear all of this. And um, I'm really glad that we had a chance to sit down and talk with you today. I feel a lot better about things, quite frankly, having having had listened to you and uh, and your enthusiasm. And Amy's making cutesy poo faces over there. Too bad. Too bad this is only radio, only audio. <laughs> well, but Kevin, it, Oakley, go ahead. It was truly my pleasure to be here. Call me back anytime. You bet we will. And uh, Kevin, we really appreciate you being here. Amy, I'm going to come back with a few last wrap up thoughts for this, but uh, I'm real glad you were here. And we'll be right back after this. This is Transformation Thursday. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday i'm amy stevens my pronouns are she her and i'm penny sterling and my pronouns are she her so what did you think of kate oakley there uh amy I thought Kate Oakley was pretty amazing. I, you know, and it's just amazing how heartfelt she is about these 
folks who are living in these states who are going through these situations and while I think you're going to hit on this, yeah. well, I think we are winning and that's, but we can't leave those people behind who need our support right now, who need help um, with mental health care, who need trans affirming health care, period. And we need to find ways to help these folks however we can, because these are, these bills are designed to exclude and hurt people. And they frankly do not care about us. No, they don't. They don't care about kids either, apparently. My takeaway for this was I was um, kind of dreading this. When, even though I was the one that kind of set it up, I was kind of dreading this because this is such a scary topic. And I, it felt really, really bad. And it is bad. There's a lot of stuff just like you alluded to. Uh, there, are, I'm, And just like we said while we were just before we came back here, um, I am what Kate said, you know, reach out to the people that you know who are in areas that are having issues but her positivity and her matter of factness and her enthusiastic response to cutting to calling bullshit where bullshit is due um made me feel like there's going to be uh, uh a satisfying and positive result to all of this because of not just kate and the human rights campaign but because there are phalanx of really smart, brilliant uh, people who are looking at this and going, this is just fear mongering for fear mongering's sake. There's a big but though. Well, I have been working out, so I'm glad you noticed. Yeah. Oh, that's not what you're talking about. No, it's the six butts on the Supreme Court though. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you I know. did there, that, 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 that is a, Quite honestly, the res the response to some of the things that we've seen uh, has given me a little bit of uh, rather than being like a, a, a you know like a dead a deadlock certainty that they're going to uh, side with the side of the devils um, that they might that that we might have an issue we might be able to to um, just because if for no other reason than the people who are drawing these laws are so fucking incompetent. Well, I, I don't share your optimism there, you know, and that's that's one of the things where I think you and I might differ on this one a little bit. You look at what Gorsuch wrote in Bostick last summer. He specifically carved out that the, there there needs to be religious freedoms addressed in a lot of these laws and a lot of these interpretations. And so as that plays with the Re Religious Freedom Restoration Act and how that there, that's that's the scary part of it. And this court through COVID has been very intentionally taking on cases and carving out religious exemptions where there really shouldn't be any. So mm. I think that's the thing to watch. Yeah, that is, that is a, that is a worrisome thing. But as, as they used to say so many times when I was writing copy for news the, you know, the, the outcome remains to be seen. Yep. Uh, and so we will continue fighting. We will continue checking on our friends. We'll continue doing what we can do uh, to uh, further the uh, further the awareness of transgender people and the fact that we are just human beings just like everybody else. And if, uh, if you like what we're doing, uh, don't forget to maybe throw us a little couple of coins here in our in our uh, in our Patreon page. Because yep. we're going to be coming back. We're going to keep on doing this until there's no reason not to. And I don't see that coming anytime in the near future. But for now, we've got another really great one that we've done here. Another great episode. Um, and I can't wait to, for, to see what we come up with going down the road. Anything right. else you want to add, Amy? Uh, I think this is a good time to call so, it a night. All right, then. Good night, Amy. Good night, Benny. Good night, Benny.